evening, Kairos. Hey, I'm so glad to see you. My name is Danny Householder. I'm the campus pastor at Hope Ames. And uh, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time at Kairos, we believe it's no accident that you're here. We've been praying for you. We're glad to worship with you, whether you are in this space or if you're joining us through the camera lenses in Iowa City. On the count of three, can everybody in this room say hi, Iowa City? One, two, three. That's good. That is so good. So glad to be with you here. Hey, I got a question for you. I was wondering, do you ever wonder why does Jesus never wear a necklace? You ever wonder that? Like you look in the stories of the Bible, like why does Jesus never wear a necklace? You know why? Because he breaks every chain. <laughs> ah! All right, that'll sink in later, I promise. Okay, you know, thank you. Yeah, this is a safe place, right? Okay. <laughs> We're in a series called Forgiven. Um, and this series is about breaking chains. This series is about receiving forgiveness and sharing forgiveness. Last week, we, we learned how to say, I'm sorry. And hopefully, you feel like you're a little bit more comfortable with saying, I'm sorry, even when it's not easy. But this week, we're talking about how to forgive the person in the world who is oftentimes the most difficult person in the world to forgive. Their name is me. I am the most important. I'm the most important. I <laughs> Wow, man, that got dark real fast. <laughs> Tonight, we are going to ask ourselves, how do I forgive myself? Because I can truly be the most difficult person in the world to forgive. And I also want to say this, we're starting with this this week, and then next week going into talking about forgiving others, because unless we are receiving forgiveness for ourselves, we're going to have a really hard time sharing that with other people. Man, anybody here have a hard time forgiving themselves? If you've ever, fun, if you've ever ha done something, had something done to you, something that's bothering you, something that's eating at you, something that you don't necessarily think about all the time, but when it pops up, it just, mm, it whispers in your ear, I'm still here. I'm still here to bother you. I'm still here to make you feel like you're not worthy. I'm still here to make you feel less than about yourself. I'm still here to bother you. And this is for you. Because it's really hard for us to forgive ourselves. You heard this in the Bible reading tonight. It says something that's actually probably pretty obvious. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Anybody who has any level of self-awareness whatsoever sees that and they're like, Yes, of course, everybody sins. As we learned from Hannah Montana last week, everybody makes mistakes. We won't go there again. But everybody sinned. We know that. And yet this verse also defines what sin is for us. It says that sin is simply falling short of God's standards. Sin is missing the mark, is what that word sin literally means in the biblical Greek. So in our office space on Lincoln Way, we have this outrageously large uh, dartboard. Haley Shepherds made this, our outreach minister, um, and we're just trying to find reasons to use it. And it happened to fit into tonight's sermon, so here we go. So we have this large dartboard. Anytime that somebody comes in and sees it, they want to use it, right? particularly some of our high school students. One of our high school students was around the office uh, within the last couple of weeks. He knocks on my door. He's like, have you seen the dartboard over there? I'm like, yes, I've seen the dartboard over there. He's like, we got to play. And I am I'm incapable of saying no to competition. So I'm like, get over here, youth. I'll show you some, you know. Anyway, I found out that day that I'm actually very, very bad at darts. Like, I'm terrible. Like, I threw javelin in college. I'm like, I can chuck a spear. How can I not throw a little dart, right? I'm going to try as hard as I possibly can. I, like, no, no, like, false humility here. This is legit. You ready? Okay. Okay, that actually wasn't that bad, was it? <laughs> Ooh, primetime Dan. Yeah. 
Okay, we'll see if I can do it. See, okay, you know what I mean? And so I'm struggling. I'm not, okay. I'm, <laughs> All right, so you know, you know, you, uh, yeah, uh, you all need to learn how to forgive yourselves, um, but I'm good, so. <laughs> hey, anyway, but there was one dart that came up, right? And this was after a bunch of bad misses. And I missed so bad. I missed so bad that I not only missed the board, I hit the brick wall behind, created sparks, and it just lands on the floor then in front. Meanwhile, I have a 14-year-old laughing at me. I'm humiliated. And this is oftentimes the picture that we get when we think of the biblical view of sin. Sin is missing the mark. And oftentimes when we mess up around other people, we feel embarrassed. Now the Bible has some really good news for anybody who misses the mark. Are you ready? It says just right after this in Romans chapter 3 verse 24 on the next slide, Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. And some people hear that and they're like, yes, doesn't even matter that I missed the board. I'm good. Jesus says I'm free, so I'm free indeed. And yes, Jesus says in John chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus says you're free, so you are free. Jesus says you've won because I've won, so therefore you have won. But some of us are having a really hard time soaking that in. Jesus, through his word, God is telling us through the book of Romans here, you can act like you're winning. I know that you missed the mark, but you can still act like you're winning. Some of us have a hard time with that. When I was in high school, I was on a uh, college football recruit visit. And before, you get in, uh, before you're impressed by that, I will tell you, my brother was the college football recruit, and I was his little brother who was tagging along. I had no interest in playing college football because I was more interested in keeping my body in one piece because when you look like this, you don't take hits very well. Nonetheless, I was there with him. And so I was kind of soaking in some different things. Now, it wasn't like Power 5 conference football, but nonetheless, like, it was an intense game. And it got to the point where uh, the home team scored a big touchdown. They went up by a couple of scores. They're hooting and hollering. They're so excited. They are acting like they're winning. They come out for the extra point. The extra point gets blocked. The visiting team takes the ball all the way into the other end zone. I sound like I really know a lot about football right now, don't I? Nonetheless, and I, I do, but they take it all the way to the other end zone on an extra point when you score on the, I think it's like two points or something. But nonetheless, the home team now comes to the sideline. They're winning. They just scored, but they act so deflated. They're acting like they're down by like 28 points. They're acting like they've just lost the entire champ all their championship hopes, right? They're acting like everything's over. And they're all down there with their heads down, sitting on the bench, and one of the coaches walks up to one of the group of players, and he says, hey, you're winning. Act like it. And I was like, whoa. How often is it in my Christian faith where Jesus tells me, hey, I've won for you. You got a victory. But I have a really hard time accepting it. Believing it. Believing that Jesus has picked up my dart. It can be hard. I, I think I can relate to some of those football players there, not because of their athleticism, but because of how they were feeling in that moment. In Psalm chapter 42, it tells us this. Why am I discouraged? Why am I acting like I'm losing? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. My Savior and my God. Do you ever have a conversation with your soul like this? Why are you in such a bad mood? Why are you so sad all the time? Why can't you get up in the morning? Why can't you believe what God says about you? Why can't you forgive yourself? I can relate to it. 
I know that Jesus tells me, you've won. You get to act like it. But I get in my own way pretty quickly. Let me take you back to that dartboard story. So after I throw the dart that lands on the ground and I have this 14-year-old youth who's laughing in my face, he says, oh, don't worry about it, Danny, look. He picks up the dart and he goes, yeah, bullseye! And he's like cheering himself on as if he's done something great. How do you think I felt? <laughs> that a freshman in high school had to help me in a little game. I told him, get out of the way or you're going to get hit by darts, right? No, like, no, don't, don't. I'm not happy about this. I, I was ashamed. I didn't care what he could do because I was so focused on what I couldn't do. Anybody ever feel like that? It doesn't matter what somebody else can do for you because you're so caught up on what you can't do. It drives us into those places of guilt and shame. We talked about this last week. Do you remember this? We define guilt and we define shame, what the difference is between the two. Guilt says, I've done a bad thing. Shame says, I am the bad thing. Guilt oftentimes turns into shame. Sometimes shame steals from other people's guilt and just puts it on you. Guilt, are the guilt comes from the things that we either can't do or the things that we can't stop ourselves from doing. But nonetheless, guilt looks at stuff and says, that's bad. Shame points the finger at you and says, you're bad. Oh, and what a trick it puts on us, doesn't it? Like I said, sometimes it's not even our own guilt. There's such thing as false guilt, too. You remember that, right? There's such thing as false guilt. These are the things that you do not need to take responsibility for, and yet you feel shame for it because you felt embarrassed, you felt violated, you felt abused, you felt hurt, you felt betrayed. Something that somebody did to you, something that someone did to hurt you, it wasn't your fault. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who have talked about childhood trauma. Let me tell you this. If you are dealing, if you are recovering from childhood trauma, you should know this. You were never responsible for the decision that an adult made. If you're someone who's recovering from some sort of other trauma, you need to know this. You are not responsible for the way that somebody else hurt you. But shame likes to twist guilt and says, mm, maybe it's yours. Either way, I mean, it can be dangerous when we fall into shame, isn't it? I want, I want to talk about guilt for just a little bit more, though, because, again, guilt is the things that we can do, the things that we can't do. And in some ways, in some ways, guilt can be a good thing. Like, guilt is not inherently bad. It can be good. Guilt is the thing that helps us say, I can't blank. Everybody say, I can't. I can. That's kind of hard to say sometimes, isn't it? You almost hesitated. I can't. I, I can't. Mm. I can't is actually not the worst thing in the world for us to say. I can't is the thing that helps us set up some boundaries. If you are physically unable to do something, it's not good for you to say, yes, I can, right? As a sophomore in high school, following my brother on that college football recruit visit, if I had gone on the field and said, yes, I can, I would have died. <laughs> like, I can't is sometimes a very powerful statement. But we can go one of two ways with I can't. I can't can either drive you into self-care, and self-care is good because self-care sets up boundaries. Or it can send you into self-comfort. And self-comfort sounds nice and it sounds fluffy, but it's not always good for us, right? Sometimes the things that are comfortable for us aren't actually caring for us. And sometimes the things that are caring for ourselves aren't comfortable, are they? Like, yeah, I'm kind of tired. I want to take a three-hour nap in the middle of the day because my bed is comfortable. But that's not like caring for my life. That's not good for me. 
In the same way, like, okay, I want to, I, I've set a goal, like, I, I, like, I'm going to care for myself, and I, I want to set a goal, and I, I've got these different accomplishments that I want to achieve throughout college, and so long they're kept within, uh, w- within the context of your capabilities and the blessings that God has given you, that can be a really good thing. And sometimes you'll push yourself in the caring places because you care about yourself. No, I, I actually can do more. And that's not always comfortable, right? There is a difference between self-comfort and self-care. And I can't is oftentimes the place where we go into one of the two of them. Care does not always mean comfort. Comfort does not always mean care. But it's empowering sometimes to just say, I can't. When was the last time that you just admitted, I can't? I can't blank. What's that can't in your life? A few nights ago, I was down at our West Des Moines campus, Lutheran Church of Hope, and there was a men's event uh, called Wings and Things, and there was a speaker there. He was a former Navy SEAL, and there were breakout sessions in the night. And one of the breakout sessions was work out with a Navy SEAL. And I thought to myself, when am I ever going to get this opportunity in my life again? It sounds brilliant. Mind you, a week before I had ran a marathon. Like, probably not my best decision, right? Like, I'm thinking, like, okay, like, I, I can drive myself. I can do this, right? And maybe, I, maybe I couldn't. Maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I should have said, I can't. Well, let me tell you this. I found out I can't. Because we're in the workout, and uh, about halfway through, he says, congratulations, you made it up the mountain. About halfway through is 30 minutes in. Every breakout session was supposed to be 30 minutes long. And then we'd go to another breakout session. But 30 minutes in, he says, congratulations, you made it up the mountain. But when people die on Everest, they don't die on the way up, they die on the way down. We're coming back down. You're not going to any other breakout sessions tonight. You're going to keep on working out with the Navy SEAL. And I learned what I can and can't do. We got down and we got into push-ups and this is what I looked like. No, let's really zoom in on my face. This is what I looked like. And I had a friend who was caring enough to take a picture of me in my humility. For an hour, we did push-ups and squats. For 15 minutes, I did push-ups and squats. For 45 minutes, I screamed and I cried. I can't. Meanwhile, Lance Farrell, yes, the Lance Farrell, like the founder of Farrell's Extreme Body Shaping, who's like pushing 60, but is 6 foot 7, 250 pounds of pure muscle and chisel, chiseled stone. I'm looking across at him. He's just like, this is great. Don't you love it, Danny? I'm like, no, I can't. I can't. Whew, I can't. Now, it probably would have been caring to myself at that moment to say, stop, create some boundaries. But sometimes, when we say, I can't, it it pushes us a little farther. We fight back. No, I can. No, no, I can. What drives you? What's the thing that drives you? What pushes you? Think about the thing that occupies most of the time in your life. I love my job. I feel so lucky that this is my job. I can't even believe that this is considered work. And in my job, I like to stay busy. In my job, I like to do things. In my job, I like to dream big, and I like to see them come true. It's not just in my job, but it's in, like, my favorite hobbies. When I run, I love to, like, dream big about it, and I like to see it come true. And so I like to stay busy with it, and I like to work for it. My biggest dream in life is that people would know Jesus, experience his love. And, like, at my best, that's my motivation, right? At my best, when I'm pushing myself at work, It's because I know the soul-satisfying love of Jesus and it's changed my life and I think that I would do anything as a pastor to make sure that somebody else could experience that too. At my best, that's what drives me. 
simultaneously, I need to confess that there's another thing that drives me too. And this is an unhealthy thing. Sometimes shame drives me. It's fear. It's this terrified feeling that I'm not enough. It's me feeling worried that I can't do it. It's being afraid that somebody's going to find out that I'm not good. I'm ashamed at the thought of failure. And so that drives me too. And when we push so far, when we keep on pushing, like, nope, stop saying I can't, I can't. Stop saying I can't, I can't. It's because we're so ashamed that somebody's going to hear us say, I can't. Now, the hard part is, is the more that we say, I can, I can, I can, I can, and it's unhealthy, shame peeks in, right? And shame starts to try to associate the things that you can or cannot do or cannot stop doing with your identity. These are the things that we feel the most guilty about. These are the things that bother us. These are the things that keep us up at night. These are the things that tell us not what we do, but all of a sudden they start to tell us who you are. See, shame takes us from a place of saying, I can't do something to instead, I am blank. What's, what's the biggest fear that is filling up this blank for you right now? If your worst fears came true, what would show up in that? What's shame trying to push in on you? I reached out to a variety or a, a, ver a bunch of our different Cairo students and asked if I could share some of the different uh, fears that would show up in that blank. And here are the ones that showed up. It was, I am broken. Anybody else feeling like that? Somebody said, I am disgusting. I am weak, unlovable, and unforgivable. Drives us into deep and dark places. It's like this shame-driven feeling, shame-driven approach to life. And it turns us into an unforgivable self. I don't know if that's like a psychological term, but it definitely feels spiritual, doesn't it? Anybody feeling like they're an unforgivable person? And so then when you look at yourself in the mirror, you think, that's an unforgivable self. Sometimes unforgivable self can be glorified. You know, those are the people who don't give up. Those are the people who keep on saying, I can, I can, I can. But it is a very overrated way to live your life. In fact, there are three things that people who are unforgivable selves really become vulnerable to. And as I show these to you, I want you to know that I struggle with this. I struggle with being the unforgivable self. And so when I mention these things, I'm not talking about you, I'm, I'm talking about us. I can share these things with you because I've experienced these things. And I just want to tell you, the unforgivable self is so overrated. The unforgiving self is, first off, a perfectionist. So here's the secret that nobody really wants to admit. Perfectionists are not perfect. Perfectionists pretend to be perfect. And anybody who is a perfectionist can tell you that when you are a perfectionist, you realize that you're not very good at pretending to be perfect, and you feel like everybody's about to find out that you're not perfect. And it drives you into a place of fear. It's not the answer to our shame. It's not the answer to the unforgivable self. If I just perfect things, hiding behind covers, I can do more, I can do this. It's not the answer to become a perfectionist. The unforgiving self is also hypercritical. Hypercritical of themselves and then also critical of others. Do you ever notice that the people who are dealing with the most shame are oftentimes the most critical of everybody else? 
It's because they don't like themselves. Oftentimes, we hate what we see in other people because it's something we can't get out of ourselves. Sometimes, we hate what we see in other people because it's something that we can't attain for ourselves. It's just calling out things because they're insecure. And when we're feeling the most shamed, we shame other people. Shamed people shame people. The unforgiving self is hypercritical. And finally, the unforgiving self is self-defeating. You rob yourself of hope. Refuse to take on opportunities. You absolutely starve yourself from trying anything new. And you tell yourself, I'm just being realistic. I just don't want to get my hopes up and just feel disappointment again. I mean, sure, you'll feel really comfortable, but it's not caring for your soul. Sure, you'll never be hurt, but you'll never experience love. Sure, you'll never face defeat, but you'll never know victory. Sure, you'll never have to look at yourself and be disgusted, but you'll never know who you really are. The unforgiving self is self-defeating. If you're wondering, like, what's wrong in my life? Why am I so deeply discouraged, and why is my soul not getting out of it? Are you dealing with perfectionism? Are you hypercritical of everybody else around you and yourself? And are you starving yourself of opportunities? Just pessimistic about everything? The issue might be that you're refusing to forgive yourself for something that God wants you to have freedom from. The answer is not necessarily easy to do, but it's simpler than we think. Can we go back to Psalm chapter 42, the author who's saying, like, why are you downcast? I'm deeply discouraged now, but I will remember you. I think so often I have to remind myself when I'm in those places of not being able to forgive myself, when I'm falling into perfectionism, when I'm being hypercritical of those around me and myself, and when I am self-defeating, not giving myself a single opportunity because I believe I'm not good enough for it, I'm too broken, I'm too disgusting, I'm unworthy, I'm weak, I'm unlovable, I'm unforgivable. It's because I'm looking at myself. It's so inward focused. And because I'm talking about myself, let me be very blunt about this, it's also selfish to just continually look in at myself and say, this is what defines the rest of the world. This is what defines all the opportunities for me. What I think of myself. There's an author in the New Testament, his name is Paul, and he writes a letter to the Corinthians, and he says, I don't really care what other people think about me. I say, okay, that's good, right? But then he follows it up, he says, I don't really care what I think of me either. Because I'm not a fair judge to myself. The rest of the world, they're not a fair judge of me. He finishes that off and says, but instead, I trust God to tell me what God thinks of me. I have to constantly remind myself, Danny, look outside of yourself and instead remember God. When we want to forgive ourselves, when we want to rid ourselves of that guilt, when we're just trying so hard to quiet that voice that whispers in your head, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're too weak. You're unlovable. You're unforgivable. You ought to be ashamed. We just want to quiet it. I need to get outside of myself. I know, I know that it's tempting to fall into self-comfort and say, you know what, I'm just going to stay home today. I'm not going to do anything. And yes, there are days when you just need to rest. I get it. Your body needs that. But then there are days when you might be urged to care for your whole self, to be around people, to say, I can serve. I can make a difference. 
I, there are things that I cannot do, but God has called me to a life to show me what he can do. I'm not simply stopping this uh, focus on myself just because, I don't know, I'm tired of the way I look. Instead, I stop looking at myself so instead I can start looking at the creator of the universe who has something to say about me. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, this chapter has been on my mind, on my heart, almost every single minute of every single day for the last month. And it tells us, how do we deal with that feeling when we cannot forgive ourselves, when we're dealing with shame? And it says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Taking the eyes off of yourself, but instead seeing the Savior who says, I say you've won. I dare you to act like it. I dare you to behave like I dare you to celebrate. I dare you to cheer. I dare you to smile again. But you look at Jesus and he's not just talking you up. He's not just pulling out talks from his back pocket and saying, see, I just said something. So there it is. No, he's doing something. When you look at Jesus, always know this. He's always doing something. Even when it seems like he's doing nothing at all. He's doing something. Even when it seems like he's doing nothing at all, he's doing something. The passage continues in Hebrews chapter 12. What do we see when we look at Jesus? We see our Savior. We see him, and because of the joy awaiting him, we see him enduring the cross and disregarding its shame. There's that word. Now he's seated in the place of honor besides God, beside God's throne. See, Jesus does something about our shame. The text tells us there, he disregards its shame. He just disregards it. Now, the original uh, Greek there, the word for it is, uh, and you can go to the next slide, that's fine. When it says that he disregards its shame, what it literally means is he scorns it. He despises it by actively insulting it. That's the actual definition of the word. Isn't that cool? Do you know how Jesus deals with your shame? He doesn't insult you. Your shame insults you. Jesus actively insults your shame. How cool is that? Jesus is on the cross. And people are starting to tell him what he can't do. I thought you were God! But clearly you can't do the things God could do. And then they start to tell him, you're just a man. You're no good. You are worthless. You're a traitor. You're a failure, they say to him. God is on the cross and the very people he created are killing him. But he disregards the shame. He actively insults it by saying, I will hear none of it. He doesn't converse with the shame. Instead, he has a conversation with his father. He knows who he is. He's the son of God, and shame will have nothing to say about that. Jesus is actively insulting your shame. Man, I, I think about, like, the superhero stories, right? You know, the superheroes come in, they save the day, they're strong. Then they look at the, the opponent, they're like, ha, 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 you know. And that's power, right? But Jesus is the hero who comes into our life, 
And he's so unintimidated by the shame that he walks into the place of shame. He embraces all of it, but he has none of it. He's still seated at the throne of God because they don't get to tell him who he is. Jesus looks at your shame and he says, you don't get to tell them who they are. Look at Jesus. If you want to forgive yourself, I'd like you to do this. It doesn't matter what I'd like you to do, actually. It's, I think, what God calls us to do. I need to stop focusing on what I can't do and instead see who Jesus is. Do you want to forgive yourself? Stop looking at what you can't do and instead see who Jesus is. In Romans chapter 3, verse 22, it says it really doesn't matter who you are of what you, or what you've done. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you're doing, or where you think you're going. God's love is for you. Jesus is actively saving you from your shame. Stop looking at yourself. You don't have to. See him. See what he thinks of you. What does he think of you? What does Jesus, the Son of God, the one who created, the word that created you, what does he think of you? In the book of Hebrews, it says joy. You want a confidence booster? Say it. I am God's joy. Will you say that with me on the count of three? Ready? Whether you're here or in Iowa City, I am God's joy. One, two, three. I am God's joy. Come on. Are you, are, are you God's joy? Say it again. I am God's joy. Say that. Come on. I want to really hear it. Ready? I think God really wants to hear it. Ready? One, two, three. I am God's joy. Say it again. I am God's joy. Do you want to pep talk yourself in the morning with a talk that's not just going to get you through the day, but instead will burst you into eternity with the God who loves you? Go ahead and look in the mirror someday and say, you know what? I'm God's joy. He loves me. He's actively insulting my shame and has no word over me. I'm God's joy. That's who you are. You are God's joy. And so let's go ahead and talk about the things that we say that we are and let Jesus correct those. I am not broken. In Jesus, I am whole. I am not disgusting, but in Jesus, I am holy. I am not weak, but in Jesus, I am strong. I am not in unlovable, but in Jesus, I am beloved. Do you know what beloved means? Beloved means to have a job, to have an occupation, and your job is to be loved. And Jesus says, you are my beloved. You are beloved. You are not unlovable. You are beloved, and you are not unforgivable because in Jesus, you are forgiven. What are the things that you would put in these blanks? What's the thing that you're so afraid of being called, of being identified, at, identified as? But then see Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Yes, there are things that you cannot do. But here's the way to kind of twist that, right? You get to that moment of saying, I can't. And you don't even have to think about what Jesus does. I mean, you can see what Jesus is doing, but you can also just say, Jesus is. I can't, but Jesus is. And those statements don't seem like they go together very well. Like one is an action, things that I can or can't do, and one is an identity. And yes, that's the point. Regardless of your action, 
regardless of what you can or cannot do. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Redeemer of your soul. Jesus is the Savior that is come to provide you with soul-satisfying love that will last forever. It doesn't matter what I can't do because Jesus is. And he's disregarding my shame. He's putting it to death. Will you stand on up? I want to close the message tonight with just a practice, with a prayer. Because I want us to actively, actively join Jesus in disregarding shame. I invite you to close your eyes. And whether you're here in Ames or in Iowa City, go ahead and do this. And go ahead and open up your hands as if you're going to receive something. And I want you to think about all the different things in the world that you've received. But it's not necessarily just the gifts. Sometimes the things that we receive in this life are heavy, right? It was a rejection. It was an insult. It was a betrayal. It was abuse. It was a failure. What are all the things that you've received? I think that sometimes we want to hold on to them really tight. This won't define me. I'll make something out of this, we say. Go ahead and squeeze those things, right? Like, sometimes I, I feel like in my soul, I'm, I'm trying to crush those things with my own power. I can do it. I can do it. But hear God say, come to me. Come to me with everything you've got. Book of Romans chapter 3, it tells you it doesn't matter who you are. Come to me. Every single one of us, we fall short. Every single one of us has done things and left things undone that's left us feeling guilty and oftentimes drives us into shame and we squeeze us. I can crush it. I can do something about it. God, I'm so tired of holding these things so tightly. I'm so tired of believing that I can fix them on my own. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for every single day, daily, reminding me, I don't have to look at myself so much. I can look at you and I can see what you're doing for me. And most importantly, I can see who you are for me. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You love me. And you disregarded my shame. So Kairos, I, I dare you right now. I dare you to let go of those things. Those things that make you feel ashamed. Those things that make you believe that you could never forgive yourself. Those things that you've been carrying for so long. Open your hands and see Jesus disregard him. God tells us these things have nothing on you. Jesus has won a victory for you and you get to live like it. And yes, there will be days when it feels like we're losing. Oh, it feels like we're losing so bad. But Jesus doesn't just pick up our dart. He removes the target. Open your eyes as we close the message. And uh, I got it, Haley, don't worry. Jesus doesn't just pick up your dart. He sets a whole new standard. And he says, look at it now. The standard is the cross that I've defeated. That's your standard. 
and Jesus has meant it for you. God's forgiven you. He's the one who's the righteous judge. His vote is the one that counts. And he gives you permission. Forgive yourself. Look at Jesus and forgive yourself. Amen. Let's sing a song.